Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Thursday Thoughts. I hope this podcast episode finds you well. I hope you're all having a great week and a wonderful day, and I hope things are going well for you. It's my prayer that this podcast will continue to be an encouragement and an uplifting thing for you. Again, this podcast, my whole goal with this is for this podcast to be encouraging for Christians and non-Christians alike. For for those who are Christians, we can learn more about the Word, learn more what it means to be a Christian in our practical everyday life, and see how the Scriptures apply to our lives through the good, the bad, and the messy. And for those who are non-Christians, that this podcast can help help them help you learn what it means to be a Christian, what a true Christian looks like, and hopefully maybe encourage you to make the decision to believe in Jesus and become a Christian yourself. And on that note, which is why I decided to do this season of Thursday Thoughts on 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the majority of it will be in 1st John because 2nd and 3rd John are little bitty one-chapter letters um, in the New Testament. Um, but what I really like about 1st John is I can basically summarize the book by just telling... I did it a little bit last week, but I can say it again. 1st John really is a letter written, and when you read it, you get to see what the true markings of a Christian are. What is a real Christian? What does a real Christian look like? What does a real Christian do? Well, 1 John answers a lot of those questions. So if you're curious about what a real Christian looks like, and how can you know if you're being a good Christian, and how can you know that you have your eternal life, and you know how can you know that you know God, well, stick in, stick with me during this season of Thursday Thoughts. Let's study first. John, Second John, and Third John, and particularly First John is what I'm talking about in the true markings of a Christian. And so, on that note, you know, I mentioned, you know, First John is a book that can help us know if we are in a good relationship with God, good standing with Him, and if we can say we truly know Him. Ironically, that's kind of the passage we're going to be talking about today in First John chapter two. We covered First John chapter one last week. We are going to be in First John chapter two this week. And before we jump into our Bible study, I have a story I think that's going to help set up our theme of today's episode, uh, living up to the name. And so Dennis from Katy, Texas, needed some same-day dry cleaning before he left on a trip. He remembered a store with a huge sign that said, one-hour dry cleaners, on the other side of town, so he drove there to drop off a suit. After filling out the tag, he told the clerk, I need this in an hour. She said, I can't get this back to you until Thursday. I thought you did dry cleaning in an hour. It said so on the sign outside. No, she replied, that's just the name of the store. Likewise, we who say we are Christians but fail to act like the one whose name we bear create confusion and uh, it creates confusion for those who have yet to believe in Jesus. And it's hypocritical when we don't live the way that we say we are supposed to. In other words, as Christians, we can't say one thing and do another. We have to make sure that we are living up to the name of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today, living up to the name. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1-6, through 6, these are the passages we'll talk about today. John reminds his audience of Jesus' saving work, and he encourages his readers, us today, to love one another, which will show 
that they are true believers in Jesus. By contrast, those with hateful dispositions are clearly not followers of Jesus. Even though John was responding to the heretics in ruling out false conceptions of fellowship with God, his primary purpose was to instruct and warn his readers against sinning in the same way as the heretics. Specifically, he has in mind the claim to sinlessness, which is what he mentions in chapter 1, which makes God out to be a liar and does away with the need for God's word concerning Jesus. And if you remember last week, I'll briefly review and just kind of mention, John is writing uh, his opponents that he's kind of trying to remind the Christians to not listen to and how their teaching is incorrect are these Gnostic Christians who basically believed that Jesus really didn't come as a full man. He was more of a spirit. And then they had some, obviously, some other theological claims that are not in line with the Bible, like apparently claiming to be sin sinless, which John points out is very wrong. Everyone sins. Uh, and so I digress. So that's what John's doing in his letter. He's he's not only addressing false teaching from these Gnostic, this group of Gnostic Christians, but he's also, uh, well, I guess we can't even call them Christians because they weren't truly following the Bible, but these Gnostics. John is addressing these Gnostics as well as just trying to show his his readers, his as we'll see, he calls them his children, his dear children. He's showing them and us what the true markings of a Christian are. How can you truly know that you're following God, and you're walking with Christ. Well, let's see what John has to say. So let's jump into our Bible study. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So let's break this text down. In 1 John Chapter 2, verse 1, John addresses his audience as dear children, because he is their, you know, we can assume that means, you know, he's their spiritual father, you know, he may have been the one who brought faith to them, he may be an elder, he may, you know, there's all kinds of things. You could also assume that John uses this term because of their lack of mature experience in Christ and in the church. Regardless, it, it, it indicates a significant relationship John has with his readers as well as us today. John is continuing his discussion from chapter 1 in these first two verses. In the first two verses, John is expounding on and continuing on the remedy for sin. If anyone does sin, we have a remedy. If we sin, we have one who speaks in our defense, Jesus Christ the righteous. Which is as verse 1 puts it. Jesus is, in legalistic terms, like a lawyer, Jesus is representing our case before the Father, as he promised he would. And so now we get down to verse 2. John now proceeds to describe our righteous advocate as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, since it is this alone which qualifies him for the position. This word propitiation, 
That's a big church word that we really don't use a whole lot in our everyday lives. So what does propitiation mean? Well, I be- the best, simplest way to think of this word is to think of propitiation as basically making, making things right with God. Uh, it's Jesus is the one who makes things right with God. He's the one who appeases God. He pleases God. Jesus is the only thing that can satisfy God's wrath because Jesus was holy. Jesus is holy. And he's the only thing that can satisfy God. So he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the thing that atones. That word atonement is another biblical word we use. Jesus takes the place for our sins. Jesus is what makes us holy in God's sight. So that's a sim- that's the best way to think of this word propitiation or atonement. They're kind of similar. Uh, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So Jesus came and died for the whole world, and he offers holiness through him before God. Because Jesus is Jesus was perfect. And so when you become a Christian, you're baptized and you're washed in the blood of the Lamb, and Jesus' blood covers you. God sees the holy blood of the Lamb and therefore looks on you as holy. And so our advocate does not plead that we are, you know, he does not plead that we are innocent, uh, but he acknowledges our guilt and presents his vicarious work as the ground for our acquittal, using that legalistic terminology. Christ's intercession is the continual application of his death to our salvation. He does this not just for us, but for the whole world. The thing is, is that we have to accept the payment and obey his word and loyally serve him as our savior. That's what verse 2 is all about. Verse 3 after these after these three conditional sentences that explain the separation aka walking in darkness that sin causes between God and humanity, John now describes how the readers of this epistle us today and back then can know that they know that God is in the earth that they know God who is in the light. The condition put forth by John is that we can have assurance that we know God if we obey his commandments or if we keep his commandments. Knowledge of God reveals itself in present, namely the continuing reflex to obey God. Therefore, people who make some claim that they know God must have evidence in their daily lives that they are conforming their decision, uh, confirming their decision, sorry, making, living according to his will. Knowing God implies that we learn about him, love him, and also experience his love. We gain our knowledge of God when we strive to do his will in the actual experiences of our lives. So in other words, you can know if you're a Christian, if you are living for the name of Jesus. You can know that you're a Christian and you can say that you know God and be confident about it if you're obeying the commandments of God, if you're love if you're seeking the Lord and loving him with all your heart, soul and mind, if you love your neighbor as yourself, if you speak kindly to people, if you do good things, if you do good works, if you give to the poor and see to the needs of the of the needy, so on and so forth. And so that's what G, that's what John is saying, you know, we know we can know that we know him if we keep his commandments. And obviously, does John mean that you're going to keep his commandments perfectly? Well, no, because he's already talking about, he's already addressed, if you do sin, you have an advocate with Jesus. And in chapter 1, as we talked about last week, right, 
in First John one nine, right? If if we sin, you know, all we have to do is confess our sin to God, and He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So John doesn't expect perfection, just like God and Jesus don't expect perfection, but they expect you to do your best to follow the the will of God and to obey His commandments. And so First John chapter two verse four. Right, we read that one a second ago. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. This is saying something along the lines of saying one thing and doing another, being hypocritical. A person who is living in the lie of saying one thing and doing another is devoid of God's truth. A person's words must be tested by his works. If he disobeys God's commandments, his claim to have come to know God is a lie. His conduct contradicts his profession and proves it to be false, which is so important today. I've heard so many people who, you know, maybe used to go to church and don't anymore, or who say they've tried church but don't go. They say, well, the reason I don't go to church is because the church is full of hypocrites. And, you know, my counter argument to that is, you know, all of us can be hypocritical in our lives. Every single one of us can be hypocritical. And as Christians, I know. It seems that there are a lot of hypocrites in the church. It feels that way sometimes, at least for me. However, the thing is, is that people are people are doing their best. We all sin and we all fall short of the glory of God. And, you know, everyone's best looks different, um, which is something that I've had to learn because I've always been a little bit hard and firm. But that's not taking away the fact that Christians do need to Pay, pay attention and mind the way they walk before outsiders and the way they walk before the Lord. Because if we're not obeying God's commandments, if we're not doing our best to live the will of God in our lives, how can we say that we know him and have fellowship with him? As First John says, if we, if we make a practice of sinning, we're really walking in darkness. We don't actually walk in the light with him. And so it's important that we obey the word of God. And we actually practice what we preach. It reminds me of of uh, James chapter, well, James chapter 1 talks about we have to be doers of the word and not hearers only, and then James chapter 2 talks about how faith without works is dead. You know, we can say we believe in God all day long, we can go to church and all that, but that's not enough. We have to live faithful lives, and that's what John's getting at here. That's how you can know if you know God, if you're trying. I think that's the key here, is trying, and trying is not, you know, well, I went to church this week, that's good. Because if you just go to church for two hours a week, do you know, I, I didn't do the math, you know, but, you know, there's seven 24-hour days, so whatever, you know, seven 24-hour days equals to, that's how many hours are in a week. <laughs> and if you're only going, if you're only focusing on God for two hours of all that time, is that really trying your best? Is that really saying that I know God? You know, God, I give you two hours of my week. I think that's enough. No, being a Christian means we give our lives to God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 5 tells us that, you know, if anyone obeys God's word, they experience the unrestricted love of God. John probably wrote these words to oppose the Gnostic teachers who, you know, extolled gathering knowledge at the expense of obedience. In other words, the, apparently these Gnostic teachers cared more about trying to learn everything instead of actually faithfully living it out, which is John, John is saying, you know, the opposite, like, but the opposite is probably more, or not necessarily the opposite, it's more important, but it's important to be obedient just as much as it is to gather knowledge. We know that we are in him when his love is perfected 
in us. John restates the claim made in the previous verse in a manner that links the proclaiming knowledge of God with the practice of proper Christian behavior, epitomized in love. The love of God is perfected in a person who keeps his keeps the word of God. And this is how we know that we can know it. And God's love being perfected in us means that we're obeying the commandments of God. We're, we're trying to live out the great commandment and the second great commandment and all the commandments in the Bible and living by the word of God. And so by this, we may know that we are in him. Verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. 1 John 2.6 reminds us that Jesus is the example that Christians are to follow. It is the Christian's obligation to live as Jesus lived. We cannot claim to live in Jesus unless we behave like him. Again, so we've been I've been beaten on this bush for a while. I've been I've been hitting this nail in. I'm trying to drive in a point for us that we have to live up to the name of Christ. We have to live holy lives. We have to be holy. Are you so holiness is obviously something that we cannot attain by ourselves, but we receive holiness through Jesus Christ and through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so when we obey God's commands, his love is perfected in us, and we are holy before him, and when we're doing our best and we're trying to live for the Lord. And so that's what 1 John 2, 1 through 6 is getting at. You know, how can we feel confident that we, that, that we know God and that we walk in the light as he is in the light? and that we are secure in our salvation, well, you have to do your best to obey the commandments. You can't say that you're a Christian and then not live like one. That's hypocritical. And obviously, John points it out that this person is a liar and the truth is not in him. And if you're a liar and the truth is not in you, then that means that you're not walking in the light. And if you're not walking in the light, that means that you are not saved from your sins, which is a serious matter, which is why we're talking about it. When we, when we truly know God, we, we fully give ourselves to him in everything we do. The love of God is perfected in us when we truly give ourselves to him. And we must always be sure that we are practicing what we preach. And so some questions to think about is, you know, do we actually know God? Or do we just think we do? Again, it's important to realize, like, what does the Bible actually ask us to do? Am I doing it? Because that'll determine if you actually know God or not. And then another question that's important to think about is, you know, what's the line in being a hypocrite who doesn't know God and just making a mistake while trying your best, right? There, there is a line there. Um, you know, we can't just, you know, go on sinning so that grace may abound, as Paul says. You know, we... How can we who have died to sin still live in it? That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. And so we have to die to our sin. We have to do our best to not be sinful. Does it mean you won't sin? No, you're going you're gonna to mess up. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. However, we can't just be like, well, you know, I'm going to sin anyway, so it's okay if I do this. No, it means that you do your best to fight it. A hypocrite is someone who just blatantly ignores God's commands, you know, who says they may follow God's commands, but just ignores them and lives however they want. And they just like the title of being a Christian. That's a hypocrite. A question that we have to ask ourselves daily is, are we actually walking how Jesus walked? And even if we are, how can we do it better? 
If you're not, how can you get to walking like Jesus? And if you feel like you are doing your best to walk like Jesus, well, how can you do it better? Because we can always improve. You know, I know I can. You know, how can we better know God today? We can better know God by living according to the word and doing what he asks us to do. I have another story I'd like us to conclude on. You know, we've talked we've been talking about living up to the name of Jesus, living living uh, living up to his name, living a, a life of purpose according to the calling of Jesus. Another phrase we could say this is living a holy life, being holy. As Christians, I don't know if you realize this or not, well, if you are truly a Christian and you're doing your best and you're living if you truly know him and you're walking in the light as he is in the light and you're obeying the commandments of God, then you are considered holy before God. Not because of you and anything that you do, but because of living in Christ and living in the Holy Spirit. That's what makes you holy. There's a study that Barna did in 2006. So this is you know an older study. It's over 10 years ago. However, I still, I bet it's even... These percentages were pretty interesting to me, and I bet they might be even lower now. I'm not sure. But let me read you the results from this study. Three out of four Americans, 73%, believe it is possible for someone to become holy regardless of their past. Only half of the adult population, about 50%, however, said that they they knew someone they considered to be holy. That is more than twice as many as those who considered themselves to be holy, 21%. The views of born-again Christians were not much different from the national averages. Among believers, three-quarters, about 76%, said it is possible for a person to become holy regardless of his or her past. Slightly more than half of the group, 55%, said that they knew someone they would describe as holy. And roughly 3 out of 10 Christians, 29%, said that they were holy, which is not much more than the national average. That's shocking to me that people who would claim to be born-again Christians, 29%, this is in 2006, you know, I wonder what it would be now in 2023. I haven't looked to see if they've done a recent study on this topic, but... Three out of ten Christians would say that they are holy. And I just, I find that sad, and I think that's a shame, because, like, yes, if if we're thinking of regards of just Joshua Warren, yes, Joshua Warren is not holy by himself, but I am holy through Christ. I am holy through the Holy Spirit before God. Not because of me, but because of what Jesus has done, and that I obey and accept for my life, and I'm doing my best to live a holy life according to his calling living up to the name of Jesus. So what that means to me is a lot of Christians need to go through and read 1 John. A lot of Christians need to go and read Leviticus. Because God commands us to be holy as He is holy. And how how in the world do we become holy? Well, back in the Old Testament, you know, in the times of Leviticus, they had to follow all these teach all these like sacrificial things and cleanliness, purity rituals, things like that. All these things in Leviticus, these Jewish rituals, they had to do all these things to be holy before God. Today, you just have to believe in Jesus and become a Christian, be baptized, washed of your sins, and rise up and live a holy life and do your best. 
That's how you become holy. Not because of anything you did, but because of what Jesus did. And that's what John is trying to remind his readers of. You know, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to sin, which is why we have Jesus as the propitiation for our sins. He's the advocate for us. He's the holy and perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through him. And Jesus makes us holy in the eyes of God. And so therefore, today, you know, if you're a Christian, you know, you need to legitimately ask yourself, you know, do you feel like you are walking in the light as he is in the light? Do you believe that you are living a holy life before God? And what that means, it doesn't mean a perfect life. It means are you living according to what, are you walking in the way in which he walked? Are you doing your best to live like Jesus? If you're not a Christian, I've mentioned it uh, several times already. We read it in our text. Jesus is the only propitiation for our sins. He's the only advocate. He's the only way to receive forgiveness of our sins. So if you're not a Christian, something you sincerely need to consider is becoming one because we are all sinful. And whilst our sin covers us, we are unholy before God. And if we're unholy before God, since God is a holy God, he will... Make an account, he will give an accounting according to our deeds in this life. And if we don't have Jesus covering us, then we will be sent to a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But if we have Christ, and if we're true, if we truly do our best to live for him and walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, who's with the Father, and we can be holy before the eyes of God. And Jesus' blood will make us clean and will allow us entrance into heaven the eternal kingdom with God. And so we need to remember that we are supposed to be living up to the name of Jesus, live a holy life according to the scriptures and walk in the light as he is in life. Do you know God today? If you don't, what's stopping you? Thank you guys. God bless.